Well, good morning. I greet you in the name of our risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May you experience His grace to the fullness this morning as we look into the wonderful things from the Word of God, divinely inspired and appropriate for us as we worship Him through the study of God's Word. want to take care of a few housekeeping things here. First of all, as you turn back in your uh, Scriptures to Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to use uh, the first three verses of that text as a springboard into the Gospel of Luke. So, uh, after we get through with Hebrews, then we're going to go into the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to hear a little bit more about the story of Jesus as uh, we look at God's divinely inspired Word. The housekeeping issues are this. First of all, I want to thank uh, Pastor for the opportunity to get to preach to you today the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, sorry that uh, His voice has been affected the way it has last Sunday and this as well. And it sounds to me like He's doing uh, much better. But uh, I am always grateful for the opportunity to preach from the Word of God. My last pastorate was uh, in Pennsylvania. We left there in 2016, 2015, uh, because uh, my dad had passed away and my mother's health was, health was not good. And so we thought it best to return to my hometown of Dell City, Oklahoma, uh, where we now live. Uh, to take care of her. And of course, she passed away a year ago, January 13th. Um, the other housekeeping issue is, is that uh, I just want to tell you that I'm going to preach uh, from uh, quite a few texts this morning. I asked the uh, pastor if it'd be okay if I preach for a couple hours today. I'm sure you won't mind. Uh, but uh, actually, no, that's not going to happen. So look with me in Hebrews chapter 1. It's, it's good for us to read the Scriptures repetitively. At least uh, you're not going to get all 14 verses here. But we'll make up for it in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days He has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high." And as you have already heard, this is the divinely inspired Word of God, profitable for us to read, teach, and instruct in. We live in a dark and troublesome time. Things are going on all around us. All kinds of upheaval, politically, socially, religiously, all throughout the world. We have this COVID-19 pandemic that's going on causes all kinds of trouble and fear in many. Depression. People are dying. People are sick. It's a troublesome time. 
And we need something periodically to take our eyes off of the roaring and crashing of the waves all around us. And I would submit to you this morning that what we as Christians need to focus our attention on is Jesus Christ through the reading of His Word. Scriptures tell us that we should fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of, of our faith. And so, that is what I want to encourage you to think about as we consider the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. How do we do that? How do we consider the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, we're going to see that it's, it's through several ways. We can glimpse the glory of Christ by means of the Word of God, which we shall do today. We can glimpse the glory of Christ through His miraculous works by means of the Word of God and the Scriptures. We can glimpse at the glory of Christ through His teaching throughout the Gospels. We can glimpse at the glory of Christ by anticipating His glorious appearing. And we can glimpse at the glory of Christ by looking at the cross. The wonderful and glorious cross by which our Savior died and by which without faith in that substitutionary atonement, nobody will see the kingdom of heaven. Will you pray with me? Dear gracious God and Heavenly Father, we come to You today and acknowledging that we are deficient, sorely deficient. We are a sinful people. And we thank You, Lord, that by Your mercy and by Your grace, You uphold us because You love Your children. We thank You that we have the Word of God that we can study and learn from and hear about the wonderful news, the Gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that tells us that if we will repent of our sins and believe in what You did through Your Son at the cross, we shall be saved and we shall eternally experience the kingdom of God in heaven with You. So we say this with all thanksgiving and joy in our heart. All praise and honor and glory to You through Your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, by the power of Your Holy Spirit. And it's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we ask these things. Amen. So as we think about Hebrews chapter 1 and what the author in Hebrews is saying, I want to point out just a couple of things that, that I think helps us think about Jesus Christ and His glory. That's what this text is about. It tells us, first of all, that Jesus Christ is God. He is God in the flesh. We know the familiar verse in the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then in verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is glorious. And we can't even fully comprehend how glorious He is. But fortunately, we have this opportunity, even though we see in a mirror dimly, we can see how glorious Jesus Christ is. And those are things that help us to take our eyes upon, off of the crashing of the waves in the sea. 
The Scripture here tells us that He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of the Father's nature. And He upholds all things by the Word of His power. I want us to think for a minute, just a minute, about this Word, the radiance of His glory. There's a Greek word, it's apagosma. Uh, and it has this idea of brilliance, of of uh, brightness, a reflected brightness. It's the idea of an effulgence. It, it emanates from Christ in many ways. And so, we have this picture of an illuminating Christ who, who shines brilliant, brilliantly. A brilliance that is so bright that we can't even comprehend it fully. But one day, praise God, we will be able to see Him face to face. And we will behold Him in His glory. It is a brightness that permanently emanates the majesty of God. And then secondly, the Scripture here tells us that that He is the exact representation of the nature of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We get this word the Greek word for uh, exact re- representation, it's caricature. And it, we get the word character from it. Jesus Christ is the exact representation of God. It's a re- he is a reflection of the personality of God. Every, every attribute of God here. In Colossians 1.15, we hear Paul say that Christ is the image, the, the icon of the invisible God. And in John 1.18, we are told that Christ is the explanation of God. So when we want to know about God and His glory, we have to look no further than Jesus Christ through His Word. But if we look anywhere other than Jesus Christ, we will not find Him. We will not understand Him. So many people today try to find God in one source or another. But if they forsake looking at God through the eyes of faith in the Word of God, they are destined for failure. In Hebrews 12.2, as I said earlier, we are to fix our eyes upon Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. So I quoted just a minute ago from John 1.14. John tells us, as a Gospel writer, he tells us, we beheld His glory. Talking about His earthly ministry. And the we is plural. It's the idea that all of the disciples beheld His glory. I love to think about in the Scriptures about what it must have been like to walk in the company of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. How wonderful it must have been to to listen to Him teach and preach and to see all the mighty works that He did. What does this mean, we beheld His glory? They saw some amazing things. And we are the beneficiaries to some extent of of the things that they saw. And they're written here in the Gospel. So if you'll turn with me to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2. 
How then should we think about the glory of Christ? Well, the first idea here is that we can glimpse at the glory of Christ by means of the Word of God. First of all, Luke, in, as, as the other Gospel writers, he, he approaches all of the stories of Jesus like they are scenes, like they are acts in a play. Some are longer than others. But each one of them has a specific purpose in mind as, as he recounts historically the things that Jesus did. You'll remember that at the end of John, the Gospel of John, he talks about how uh, all of the books that in the world and all of the libraries could not even hold all of the, the wonderful things that Jesus did. And they got to behold all of those things. Now, in Luke chapter 2, we've already had the birth of Jesus Christ. And we have a, a story where Jesus, as a young boy, stayed behind when His parents went up to Jerusalem. And they left and thought that He was in uh, another place in their caravan, but then they discovered that He was missing. And so in their horror, they rushed back to Jerusalem and, and found Him there. He was sitting amongst the, the teachers, the rabbis. And the interesting thing about this was that, that Jesus was, even at that point, showing His incredible understanding of the Word of God, His Scriptures. And Luke 2.47 says, And all who heard Him were amazed at His understanding and His answers. Luke, a little bit later in his Gospel, talks about how the scribes and Pharisees were constantly trying to trip Him up, trying to catch Him in something, some theology or some point with which they could accuse Him of. And He was constantly confounding them. Constantly by His wisdom and His authority and His power that emanated each time He spoke, He ended up making them look like fools most of the time. That is a glimpse of the glory of Jesus Christ. If you would turn to chapter 5, There's an interesting thing that Luke says in chapter 5. And to be honest with you, as I was looking at this passage of Scripture, I caught something that I'd never really caught before. That's the wonderful thing about the Word of God. You can read it over and over again. You can, you can get all kinds of training in Sunday school and, and read the Bible through in a year program or whatever. But it's the the wonderful thing is that you can you can latch on to these jewels that you never saw before, and that that's the wonderful thing about how the scriptures come alive, and they are alive. in In chapter five, verse one, it says, "Now it came about that while the multitude were pressing around him and listening to the word of God, they were listening to the word of God." Now. You can take this a couple of ways. 
either they were listening to the Word of God that Jesus was preaching, or they were listening to God preaching the Word. It's an interesting thought to think about. But the Scriptures tell us about the glory of God. And you're going to hear me say that a lot. Now, I, want to, I wanted to point that out, but I want to go back to chapter 4 real quickly. If you'll turn back to that. Jesus, after He experienced His, his trial and testing in the desert, and we sang about that in, in the hymn just a few minutes ago, after that trial and temptation, He went back to Nazareth and He uh, began teaching in the synagogues. And first of all, He went to the synagogue there at His hometown, there in in Nazareth. Look with me in verse 16. I'll just real quickly read this because it, it describes Jesus telling the people who He was telling His mission statements, what His purpose was. Now, the people of His hometown knew Him as the carpenter from Galilee. But yet, He was there to tell Him that He was something much more. It says, And He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up, and as was His custom, He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and he opened the book and found the place where it is written. Quoting from Isaiah 61, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He anointed me to preach the Gospel to the poor, and He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are downtrodden, and to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And the Scriptures tell us that at that point, He closed the scroll, the Isaiah scroll. And there's something significant about that because He didn't complete the rest of that particular verse. What was it that He left out? He left out the phrase, "In the day of vengeance of our God. Now, Jesus talks about the day of vengeance later on in Luke's Gospel. But He was not there for judgment. His mission was not to judge the people in righteousness. There was no vengeance that was to be taken uh, while He was on His earthly ministry. So He closed the book and stopped right there. And that got all of the people's attention because they knew what followed after that verse. But then he says something else that even caused their eyes to open even more. And he said, today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Now, that's an interesting thing for him to do because he was essentially saying, I'm the one that the Scriptures are speaking about in this particular scroll. I am the one who is here who has been anointed by the Spirit of God to preach the Gospel to the poor. And preach He did. I am the one who was sent to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and to set free those who are downtrodden and to proclaim the favorable 
fear the Lord. There was all kinds of rumbling that was going on amongst each other as they were considering the things that were happening. Luke goes on and he tells about what Jesus says to them as they they are considering, this is Joseph's son. He's the carpenter. Why is he saying things like that? And Jesus says to him, no doubt you will quote this proverb to me, physician, heal yourself. The statement that was said to him while he was up on the cross. And he said, truly I say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But I say to you in truth, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was shut up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over all the land. And yet Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. Now this particular statement really angered the Jews. He goes on and he says, And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, only Naaman the Syrian. So, if you can just imagine in your mind's eye what is going on here, Jesus has just offended everybody in the synagogue. I'll give you a, a, an example. This is a political example, and I don't mean to be making a political statement here, but it's a good analogy. I'm certainly not wanting to compare President Trump to Jesus Christ. Okay? But in 2016, President Trump had just been elected and he was doing his inaugural speech. And of course, already the deep state, the establishment had understood all that Trump intended to do. He intended to attack the establishment. He, He intended to overthrow big government and the deep state. And so in his inauguration speech, he said that while Many representatives of the deep state were there. The establishment was there. And so he offended them. And so as a result of that, what they knew he intended to do, the liberals, the progressives, they attacked him and they time and time again accused him of this and that. And that's the same thing that happened to Jesus. In his mission statement, he told him what he was there to do. He was there to address the establishment, the religious leaders who who were hypocrites, the scribes and Pharisees who were teaching one thing and doing another, the scribes and Pharisees who were uh, not even following their own laws that weighed down the people like an anchor around their neck. So that is what they did. They dogged him all of his earthly ministry. Now back to chapter 5 because it leads the way into what I want to address next. Because we see in chapter 5 and following how Jesus gave us a glimpse of his glory through the many miracles that he did. 
I want you to picture this. Jesus has been preaching the Word of God to the people there along the Sea of Galilee, at the Lake of Gennesaret, it says. That area where, where people went and there was this thriving fishing business. Sea of Galilee was a, a lake, a large lake, known for its tumultuous storms, 12 miles long, 8 miles wide. It was, it was a place where, where it was full in a, of abundant fish and it provided industry for all those who lived all around. Jesus is there one bright morning and He is preaching the Word of God to people. And He's standing just by the shore and there are boats there. One of them is a boat that is occupied by none other than Simon Peter. And Jesus taking advantage of an opportunity. He, he steps on to the, to the boat there. And He sees an opportunity to make His voice heard even louder. And so He preaches there. And when He is done preaching, He turns to Simon Peter. Simon Peter may have already been hearing who Jesus was. The rumors were going around everywhere. People were, were going to hear Him preach and teach. And he turns to Simon Peter and he says, set out for the deep and lower your nets for a catch. And Simon and his associates who had been there had been fishing all night long. Apparently the fishing was better at that time. And they had struggled very hard to try to capture fish to put food on their tables and to make money to pay the taxes of the Roman Empire. Peter is tired. His muscles are sore. And the others are tired as well. And Peter says, Lord, we fished all night and we didn't catch a thing. And then realizing that this man was special, he said, but at your bidding, we'll go out. And so as they row out to, to the deeper area where they can cast their nets out, something miraculous happens. The, the fish start flocking into the nets. And they start to pull in those nets and as, as the activity, the churning of the fish in the water gets greater and greater, they, they start to pull these nets in and, and they're so heavy, they're so laden with the weight of these fish that they can scarcely pull them in. And imagine with me the awesome thoughts that they are thinking through the mind. This is, this is crazy! And they're rejoicing as they pull the nets in. And finally they get them all in and they're surveying all those fish laying in the boat. And Peter's looking at this. And he's starting to realize something. This is not an ordinary man. There's something about this man that is different. Different than the scribes and the Pharisees, the teachers, the religious leaders. This man knows what he's talking about. 
He has power or knowledge that is greater. And the reality is, He has power over nature. He is God in the flesh. Later on, we find that when He goes out to, uh, to be in the boats and He's just been preaching, and He goes out in the boats and He falls asleep in the boat, and the disciples are there with Him, and all of a sudden a gale comes up on the seas. And the disciples are fearful for their life and they have forgotten that the Creator of the universe is there with them. And they say, they wake Him up. They, they, they were probably hesitant to do it at first because they knew that He was tired. But they wake Him up. And they say, Master, do you not care that we are perishing? And, he's, and He rebukes them. He rebukes the seas. And what is it that they say amongst themselves? Who then is this that can even command the waves and the winds of the sea? So we see here that Jesus displays His powers in many ways. And the interesting thing here, as as Peter has surveyed the fish, the Word of God says in in chapter 5, verse 9, for amazement had seized him and all his companions. Now, I know that we have several people who have been to seminary in our congregation. Uh, and if you've taken uh, New Testament Greek, one of the words that you will learn uh, right away is the word echo. It means to have or to hold. And the word used here is, a, is echo with a preposition preposition attached to it. Peri. And so the word here is peri-echo. Now the preposition has this idea of, of circumvention, of encompassing. And so when you add this, this word, this preposition to echo, it's the idea of encompassing around a person. Like a giant that would hold on to a smaller person with no possibility of escape. And the thing that's interesting about this word is that, that Luke uses this word to tell us how amazement had seized him. He was just totally encompassed, seized with this amazement, this astonishment. Luke uses that word several times in the Scriptures. And so, in this miracle that Jesus does, as in all the miracles, He pulls away this veil and He allows people through the power of the Holy Spirit to see wonderful and glorious things about our Lord and Savior. Jesus Christ is glorious. And He did glorious things. And these are things that we can look at in the Scripture. You know, it's great to read the Bible through the year. But sometimes we have this tendency to just read through it. In seminary, my instructors used to tell me that 
you need to read this with understanding. So it was the idea that we would read it slower than we normally would, like some people do, and I've been guilty of that, when you read through the Bible in a year. Reading with understanding has this idea that you chew on it. You ask the important questions, the who, the what, the where, the how, and the when. You maybe even use resources to get a better picture of what's going on here. And I think when we, when we look at these things, then we, we have an opportunity to see Jesus pull that veil away. And we can see glorious things. Another thing is that we see here is uh, in verse 5, chapter 5, verse 21, the scribes and the Pharisees are, are looking at this thing that is going on. He's at a house. He's teaching. And outside there is a man who is paralyzed. And he has four faithful friends who love this man and they have great faith. Scriptures tell us. But the crowd is pressing so strongly around Jesus that they can't get him in so that the man so that he can be healed. So what do they do? They begin to climb up on the roof and start to pull away the tiles of the roof. Now just think for a minute how you would feel if you were hosting a party in your house and all of a sudden someone starts pulling away the shingles or whatever it is that covers your roof and all of a sudden they start letting someone down through a rope. Well, that's what they did here. They were desperate. And they lowered this man here and... And, and drop him there. And Jesus looking at this, he, he says, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And all of a sudden, the establishment, the anger boils up within them. And they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? And so as I said earlier, Luke has a purpose for everything that he talks about. And this is the big question. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, surprise. He is God. And that's the thing that Jesus is pointing out to us here. Luke is pointing out. And Jesus, aware of their reasonings and answers, He answers to them says, Why are you reasoning in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk. But in order that you may know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins, I say to you, rise and walk. Pick up your pallet and walk. And to the amazement, once again, this man stands and he's able to walk. Just think about how you would feel if you were there to see that. Well, Luke again tells us, they were all seized with astonishment and began glorifying God. And they were filled with fear, saying, we have seen remarkable things today. 
That's what we find all through Luke's Gospel. We see it time and time again. Fear gripping people as Jesus resurrected the dead. In one instance, He he saw a a lady, a funeral procession, and there was a widow, and she had lost her son, and apparently she had depended upon this son to help provide for her needs. Jesus knew what was going on. And He knew her situation because He knows all things. And He did these things that He did so that He would not only bring glory to Himself, but glory to the Father. And so, He healed that man. Caused him to rise from the dead. And once again, Luke gives us this picture of the people. And verse 16 in chapter 7 says, And fear gripped them all. And they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited His people. Now an interesting story happens after that that Luke recounts to us. And the story is a message that comes from John the Baptist. John is the one who baptized Jesus. He's in prison. And he sends a message to Jesus. And it's interesting. The message says, Are you the expected one or do we look for someone else? And Jesus was busy doing all sorts of miracles, curing people, casting out demons, people with all kinds of afflictions. He was healing those who were blind. And in verse 22, He answers, to those messengers. Go and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up. The poor have the Gospel preached to them. And blessed is He who keeps from stumbling over Me. Jesus was essentially saying what He said in His mission statement when he read the Isaiah scroll. He was showing that he was the fulfillment and he was proving it day by day in his earthly ministry. So we've seen how Jesus has power over nature. He has power over the demons. He has power to heal, power to raise the dead and to heal the blind so that they see. The other thing that we can see in Jesus is the power and authority with which He taught. And there was all kinds of of wonderful discourses that we have in the Gospels. We have the Sermon on the Mount. We have the Olivet Discourse. We have Him teaching so many parables that are used to to help us understand with real pictures and, and symbols and things 
the wonderful things about the kingdom of God. He was the greatest teacher because he was the author and creator of us all. Jesus gave us all kinds of opportunities to see His glory. The other thing that we can see later on in the, in the Gospel that He taught us about His glorious appearing. We can take joy and comfort in fixing our eyes upon the reality that one day we will see Him again. One day, the promise is that He will come back for His people. One day, whether it's through, through death and resurrection into eternal life, or whether or not we see Him face to face at His glorious appearing. The promise is that one day we will see Him again if we have placed our faith and trust in His atonement. If we've repented of our sins, Jesus taught us about that too. He said, unless you will repent, you will not see the kingdom of God. And so, the last thing that I'll point out to you here is how we see the glory of Christ in His suffering. Jesus came not just to heal, not just to uh, see the blind receive their sight, not just to calm the, the waves and the storms of Galilee, but He came so that we might have life and might have it abundantly. The Scriptures tell us that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The Scriptures tell us that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Scriptures tell us that whoever call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, we shall be saved. Now, I don't know all of you here today. Some of you know me. For some of you, this is the first time. You probably didn't even know that I was a preacher. But I'm here because the Gospel needs to be preached. I'm thankful that we have a pastor here that preaches that Gospel. But I can never assume that all of you here within my hearing are saved. And so let me just take a moment to plead with you, to encourage you to believe in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Search the Scriptures and see if these things are true. Because the Scriptures makes some amazing claims. And they are true. Unless you repent and believe in the Gospel, you shall not see the Kingdom of God. And my prayer and my challenge for you is that you take this glorious book 
and give it the opportunity to open up your minds to the Word of God and the truth it gives us. Well, no sermon is good without a poem at the end. And so, there's a hymn that I was looking for in the Trinity hymnal, and it's not there. It's called, I Stand Amazed in the Presence. And so, it's a, uh, I, I chose that hymn because of the word amazed, which is used so frequently in the Gospels, particularly in Luke, as I have pointed out. But here's the interesting verse uh, that is in that hymn. It says, When with the ransomed in glory, His face at last I shall see, Twill be my joy through the ages to sing of His love for me. Have you experienced the love of Jesus Christ? If not, I hope that you will accept His free gift, His free offer of salvation and believe in His Gospel. Will you pray with me? Father God, You are Almighty. You are merciful and gracious to us. You give us so many opportunities to receive Your love and Your mercy and to enjoy the mysteries of Your Word. We thank You that You love us so much that You sent Your Son to die on the cross for our sins. We thank You for the promise of the Scriptures that says if by faith we will repent and believe in the Gospel, we shall have eternal life. We thank You that You love the world so much that You gave Your Son. And so, Lord, I, I just cannot thank You enough for the privilege to preach Your Gospel today. And may everyone here within my sight and hearing be those who latch on to this precious jewel, the gift of eternal life. And we pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for His glory forever and ever. Amen.